J.M. in the A.M. at uh, 7.32 on this Wednesday morning, 28 minutes before 8 o'clock, day 25 in the counting of the Omer. As we keep saying, we are halfway through the uh, uh, counting of the Omer. Uh, Shvu is three weeks from Saturday night, believe it or not, and Lag Bomer can't come quickly enough, that's for sure. It'll be a, a week from tomorrow, a week from tonight, I guess, more accurately, uh, for the big Lag Bomer celebration. Rabbi Manus Friedman is here in our studio, a return visit for him. Rabbi Manus Friedman is described... As a rabbi, shliach, author, social philosopher, and public speaker. Rabbi Manus Friedman, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Which of those descriptions do you like the most? Which is the, there's volume right there under the table. Which one of those, where it's connected? Which one of those descriptions do you like the most of all of those? Uh, shliach. That's the most? Because that, that says everything. You can, you know, that can mean whatever you want it to mean. A shliach has to be, and again, when we say shliach here, we're saying in the context of a messenger of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, right, essentially. Yeah. Um, a shliach has to be all the things. Well, that doesn't have to be. You don't have to be an author. It might help. Right. Yeah. But you do have to be a fundraiser, an organizer. Um, a, a social butterfly, right? You, you need to be able to interact with people. A first aid responder. <laughs> That's like what's right. happening now in Nepal. That's right. Do you have any, uh, have you spoken to anybody there or have you, have you spent any time, uh, uh, reading about it? I'm so curious to know because in situations like this, literally the Chabad house becomes not just an emergency center, but one where everybody is welcome, which means, you know, there's, there are people everywhere, sleeping everywhere. For and, whatever you need. Right, exactly. So it's a, it's really an open-ended uh, shlichus. And the shlichim know this, and their wives know this when they get into it. Yeah. They, they sign the contract, so to speak, knowing all this in advance. And what is it that they learned in yeshiva that prepared them for this? And the answer is? Nothing. It's just the willingness, you know, the readiness to, to, to do whatever it takes. Well, there must also be a wherewithal to adjust to every type of situation. Again, it's only because they're, I mean, they're not trained. Right. They're not licensed. <laughs> they're, right. they're just willing. Like when I hear, for instance, that certain shluchim have no choice but to become shochtim, to become ritual slaughterers. It's the only way that they'll be kosher poultry and kosher meat in the area where they yeah. are in this world. Yeah. I always say to myself, I cannot imagine that the average 25-year-old yeshiva guy <laughs> who sent out of this mission ever really wanted to be a ritual slaughterer, but out of necessity had no choice but to become one. Yeah, right? and for that you can get a little training. But right. when it comes to baking the challah, <laughs> they have to, they have to do that too. Start from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> to provide all the kosher food. And you know what I always say? And I know this is not directly our topic today, but hey, you're here. I'm going to take advantage of you. You know what I always say? I always wonder who gets the glory, uh, the, the glorified assignments. You know, who are the shluchim who are lucky enough to go to, uh, I don't know, New York City or Los Angeles or Honolulu? And the others who have to go to Siberia, and maybe we could say Nepal, and other areas of the world are a little, a bit more remote, and maybe a little bit more lonely. Yeah, it's amazing. They have electricity a few hours a day. Is that a fact? In some places. Oh, in some places, right. And uh, they have to go to the farm to, to make milk. Right. And it's really primitive. And I don't know, maybe those are the glory, the, the more glorious. Are those the most glorified jobs? Yeah. Manhattan doesn't compare to that? Yeah, it's not really. Right next door, you know. This is easy. But the parents are always hoping that they get Crown Heights or Manhattan. <laughs> right. They're always hoping that the kids don't move too far away. Yeah. But it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. Baruch Hashem, my kids, so far, all of them are in the States. 
And how did that work out that way? He just did. No, but there has to be. No inside connection. No. Not because you're an author, social philosopher, rabbi, shalia, (laughs) a public speaker. You're sure. Absolutely. Your influence had nothing to do with that. And they didn't put in a request, hey, I'd rather stay, quote, unquote, close to home. Nobody put in a request like that. Not that they didn't want to stay closer to home. Right. But, uh, no, there's no request and there's no... um, It just worked out? Yeah. What's the furthest one? Because you're based where? In Minnesota, right? Yeah. You're based in Minnesota. So the, the, the child who is furthest away is in what geographic region? Oregon. In Oregon? Where? What city? In uh, Salem. Salem, Oregon has a Chabad house? Yep. With a minion? Yep. They get a minion there? Yes. Is he a Shaykhid? No. <laughs> Where do they get their kosher meat? From uh, Portland. Unbelievable. How far is Salem from Portland? Uh, about an hour's drive. Do you visit these uh, of children of yours, Horsh Lichem? No, you of do. Of course, of course. So you would go to Salem, for instance, how often? Uh, not often enough. Uh, twice a year, once a year. How, do, how, how What does it work at? I think twice a year would be. About twice a year. Yeah. And when you're there, you stay for a couple of days? Sure. Yeah. How many years has, the, has that uh, child been there? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Five. About six, five years? Yeah. Amazing. How do you spend your sphera, by the way? Is it any different for you than the rest of the year? I don't know if you're very into Jewish music, because I know you obviously have a musical family, but I don't know if you know if the acapella music brings you down like it does me. I don't know. You know. <laughs> really... Well, I mean, it's, you know, I'm a very excitable guy who likes the, uh, you know, who, who likes... Bar- the barbershop quartets don't do it for you? I mean, you know, it does in doses, but not when you're, you know, but not, not when you're being feted constantly, you know, 24 hours a day. A so is your sphere a lot different than the rest of the year or not? Not really. I don't sing. Right. And uh, I, you know, speaking becomes more popular during Sphere. Right. I once asked where, I once asked what, ah, whatever, it's not that important. Anyway, Rabbi Modest Friedman is here, and uh, the latest that he has introduced to, um, uh, to our audience and to his audience uh, is a course entitled Parenting for All Ages. This is starting, this has started already, correct? This, this, course, yeah. has start, this course has started already. Everybody's able to uh, participate. Uh, it's an online course. Uh, if anybody does jump in now, they're not, they're fine, right? They can, they can join and participate in it now, correct? Yeah, on the, on the telephone. It's a right. call-in conference call. And it's a call-in conference. So does it happen live? It actually happens live? Yes. It's yes. a live lecture. And, um, if I have this correct, today, you'll be doing this today. You, you have a course, you have a, how do I put it? You have a lecture in the course scheduled for today. Yes. It's called Beyond Menschlichkeit. And it's ironic that you're here on a day when the entire world is focused on the exact opposite of Menschlichkeit. We see the uh, riots that are going on in Baltimore and the way that civil society is taking a break, so to speak. Uh, and and uh, what are your impressions as you watch the news and see and hear what's going on there? What are your thoughts? You know, it's another event in a series of events, this violence and this, uh, you know, a, a, a society... That isn't based on Torah and isn't based on the Sheva Mitzvahs. Uh, with the best of intentions, democracy, freedom, all of these good things, they just don't work. The country was built on a biblical foundation, on a on a on a, on a Torah foundation, right. on the Ten Commandments and so on. At basic ethics. But based based from Torah, not, not Correct, human, right, right? Not human invention. Well, what the world would call Judeo-Christian principles, and and primarily Judeo, right? Because the Ten Commandments, uh, right. I mean, that's we take credit for that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> That's ours. <laughs> there, there was this guy, Nebuch, a Jewish kid, who decided he wants to convert to Christianity. And I spoke to him. And I said, why? What are you doing this? He says, because they have such great books. I said, like what? He said, like the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize. That. Isaiah. <laughs> Great books. <laughs> well, at least you're able to set them straight on that one. Yeah. Did it take much convincing after that? Yeah, he was shocked. He went to he, he went to Wikipedia and said, "Hey, those are Jewish." He was shocked. <laughs> you, you even have Mashiach. <laughs> That's also Jewish. You could say that again. <laughs> <laughs> so the, we drifted away from that and think that human instinct can make for a civil society. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's why the the big news items, so to speak, or among the bigger news items, is when you know people out there insist on protecting the police, or when a parent insists that their child not participate in the riots. That becomes the exceptional story because, again, like you said, you know it can work, but it's yeah. few and far between, so to speak. Yeah. So, so the Rebbe many years ago was fighting or struggling to get uh, a moment of silence into the public schools. He felt it was important. Without that, we have no foundation for morality in our society. And silence. He was not even encouraging prayer. A moment of introspection. Yeah. Silence. Yeah. Why am I here? What am I doing here? Who, who created this? I'm not giving you the answer. Just ask the question. Right. I didn't create the world. Who did? And we're getting so much further away. It's not just a matter now that, you know, public schools won't allow for a moment of silence or that legislation or the Constitution or whatever it is that, that people use uh, to make sure it stays out of public schools. It's not just that. It's, it's the complete opposite. You, you go into, uh, into public locations like public schools, and it's just it seems like moral bedlam, frankly. There's no foundation of anything. And it didn't take long for this to happen because it wasn't like this, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, even 20 years ago. There's this joke about a kid who writes a little prayer, a little note to God yeah. because of the violence in schools, right. shootings. And he says, Please protect me and keep me safe in school. And God answers, I'd love to, but they don't let me in there. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Manus Friedman is here. Beyond Menschlichkeit is the, uh, is the course, or I, I should say the lecture, part of the parenting course that he's going to be doing today. Tomorrow, you're actually going to be doing a Q&A where people could submit questions and become an active part of the conversation. What were the uh, the first two lectures in this series? Uh, describe them for us. The first one was called Overcoming the Obstacles. What obstacles were you referring to? So there are two major hesitations when it comes to parenting. One is the issues that children raise. Um, the child is difficult. You didn't expect that. Children are born with a certain disposition. You didn't, you didn't expect that. Some kids are happy, some kids are miserable, some kids are angry, some kids are stubborn. They don't, they don't come blank. Right. They come with a... And, They're and wired a certain way. Right. And, and, that, and that scares pa parents. What do I do with a kid who does this? Or what do I do with a kid who behaves like that? Right. What do I do with a kid who's smarter than me? <laughs> that's and really, that happens. That's really scary. Yeah. Um, so, so the challenges that come from the children, certain things about the children that you have to struggle with or be able to handle. I mean, the most common answer to this is try to utilize their specific traits to yours and their advantage. Give them activities that would, 
you know, fit, but I, you know, as a parent, I could say that doesn't always work. No. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a foolproof system. No, no, no simple solutions. You have to, you have to struggle through it with them, you know, live it through. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you don't, you don't go against the grain, work with the grain. Right. It's much more sensible. Um, but then the other thing is personal internal issues. I, I don't feel adequate. I have good kids, mm-hmm. but I don't know what I'm doing. Who, who made me a father anyway? And how did that happen? So, so there are things that come from the children issues. That was the first call. Right. And the second call was, what about internal things? And that's what you referred to as getting past the fears? Yeah. That was the second lecture. Uh, and getting past the fears, me- more meaning that, in, in, but not in a practical sense. I mean, more in a psychological sense. In other words, trying to deal, like even if the situation remains the same, trying to stay calm and deal with it in as a calm a manner as possible. And to parent confidently. It's a big, big, big issue. Parents who hesitate. You know, they're not sure what they're saying. They're not sure what they're supposed to be doing. And if you read all those books on child raising, you become paranoid altogether. Am I ruining my kid? Did I just destroy my kid? Do I have to put away a therapy fund for my kid? Right, right. Is it my fault? All of these things are very terrifying. But once you get past all of that, then you can apply yourself to chinuch. Now you can start raising your kid. Are any of them good? Are any of the parenting advice... Um, gurus out there on the right track or not? I think everybody has one good idea, but 300 pages? What are they babbling about? You know, present your good idea and let so it go. So there are some good ideas out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but you know, too much? Right. Only this? Like Dr. Spock? Right. Never discipline, never, oh, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. All right. Yeah, 40, Can't do that. Yeah, after your children are already raised with the... So... Um, the confidence of raising children has to come from the fact that there's a third partner. You're not alone in this. The Abishta gave you this child. The Abishta is not going to give up on the child and abandon the child to you completely. You're a partner. But the Ebershtet is very much involved, and therefore uh, you can relax a little bit. Rabbi Manus Friedman is here. How do you choose the topics of these series? Because you could speak essentially about anything. Why has parenting, for instance, now you know been or just happened to be that this is the week for parenting? Yeah, this is the week. We did it. We did a series on Sholem Bayis. Right. And uh, we did not the same topic, right? No, completely not the, different. completely different topic. Yeah. Not everybody realizes that. And last time I was here, we spoke about. Uh, Avedas Hashem, right? Doing doing for God what God needs, which, by the way, raising children, running a family is Avedas Hashem. You can't you can't you can't turn that into a personal project. David gives you the child. He tells you what what kind what kind of chinuch you should provide for the child, and so on. I got to share with you a story, please. Very powerful story. You know, we we are faced with things that we didn't expect. Life is full of surprises, and uh, the Abish that puts stuff on your plate, and you got to and you got to deal with it. And sometimes we're even resentful of it. You know Why I mean? me? Why me? Yeah. So I got to tell you this story. I was invited to come speak someplace in South America. I think it was Argentina. In what language? English. Translator. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Does your stuff work through a translator? Not the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get the baseball references, huh? I have to wait <laughs> for a couple of seconds and give them. 
but but it makes it sound very important. The translator, English, it, it's it's dramatic. So it, it was a miserable flight. Yeah, I'm going from Minnesota to New York to Houston, I think, and then from Houston, to, it, it was a long, miserable flight. And by the time I, I landed in, in Argentina, I, I was I was wiped out, yeah. not in a good mood at all. And I'm looking forward to the hotel room. Anyway, the shliach there picks me up at the airport, and we're driving. And he says, "Oh, by the way, I arranged for you to speak to a woman on the way to the to the hotel." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Shinaba <laughs> yeah. had a terrible tragedy. And she's depressed, and she hasn't left her room in six months. And she finally agreed to talk to you, so we'll stop on the way, and you'll talk to her. So first of all, somebody who suffered a serious grief, what do you mean talk to her? <laughs> what do you think? I, I don't Solve know, everything in ten minutes? Yeah, wh- wh- what? But, but, but more than that, you didn't even ask me. Right. You just met, went ahead and made the arrangements on the way to the hotel? You couldn't wait until later. Anyway, I was I was very unhappy about that. I think one. the Rebbe would have said to the guy, "Just make the arrangement. That don't worry about what my Freeman thinks." No, wouldn't he have said that? Maybe I read Tolushkin's book. I think <laughs> I think the Rebbe would have said, "You you take care of it. You you do what you need to do. You need to Rabbi Freeman to speak to twelve people on the way. You have to speak to twelve people on the way." And by the end of the story, I think that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> anyway, he already made the arrangement. She's expecting us, so we go. I come into the house. Yeah. And the the woman looks like she's the walking dead. You know, lifeless eyes, completely destroyed. And uh, she starts telling me how special this, this, her son was. He died at 19 in a car accident. He was on his way home in, from the summer cottage to come on time to say slichus. And, and, and this happens. Yeah. Anyway, so he, he, a very, a very, very u- special, unique child. And um, when she finishes, what can I say? I said, wow, you had such an incredible kid for 19 years. Well, she didn't like that. I can only imagine. Didn't like Probably that. not the first time she heard it. Yeah. So I said, all right, I understand the shock. is so unexpected that that's very hard to, to, to live with. But imagine if the Ebershter had come to you in advance, right. no surprises. And Abishter would have said, I have this great kid. A wonderful gift. A wonderful child, but he only needs 19 years. So I'm looking for a mother for this child. Would you be his mother? What would you have said? And I was sure she would say yes. Even that, no comfort. She said, absolutely not. <sighs> and it took me by surprise, and I just blurted out. I said, well, in that case, it's so good that he didn't ask you. I'm telling you that, that the, the flood of tears that came, the bursting, the dam burst, and she, and she, she, it, it was, it was literally, literally, she came alive. The light in her eyes came back on. It was such a dramatic moment. In, in 50 years, I, I can't remember a moment like that. So now we're driving to the hotel room. And it occurs to me that I was upset that they didn't ask me. Right. And now I realize 
if they had asked me, I would have said, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> and it would have been the wrong answer. So when the Ebishter doesn't ask us whether we want the challenges that he's going to give us, that itself is a kindness. Uh, no question. Because if he asked us, we would just embarrass ourselves with the wrong answer. So when we find ourselves facing challenges in marriage with children, whatever it is, it didn't happen by accident. Somebody didn't when someone says I, When someone says, I didn't sign up for this, you would say, good. Thank God you didn't sign up for it. Thank God you didn't know about it in advance. Otherwise, you'd be in a totally different situation. Yeah, you'd blow it. You would miss out on this incredible, because we don't give ourselves enough credit. The Ibishta knows what we're capable of. We don't. So he, he, you know, he gives us maximum uh, function, that we should work at our maximum ability. We would quit halfway. Say, nah, that's too hard. No, this I can't do. And in the end, we do it. So many times, you know, people come to me and say, I don't know how to handle this. I can't take this anymore. For the last 20 years, this has been going on. I said, well, so, so you've been handling it for 20 years. Tell me how you're doing this. Right. Don't ask me how. You're the expert. So you've been functioning a little beyond, above your comfort zone. That's great. That's wonderful. All about perspective, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like from everything you're saying. It's all about attitude, perspective, the way we approach things. Hap the old happiness is a choice. People choose to be happy and are able to persevere through difficult situations. I think that that's a very constructive, positive way of applying Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. God is always before me. That, that's not intimidating. That's comforting. Whatever is happening, you're not alone. There's a bigger picture there's a, there's a bigger kavana. When God created the world 6,000 years ago, he had all this planned out. This is all leading to the, to the right conclusions. Once we start feeling alone, when we lose that bigger picture and it's just me against the world, well, that's pretty depressing. Mm, no question about that. Right, Manus Friedman is here. Uh, I was asked to announce, let me get this down properly, uh, there's a discount code for anyone that signs up for the course if you use the discount code Nahum, hey, you know how you spell that? N-A-C-H-U-M. You're offering a 25% discount. Uh, what's the best website for people to check this out? It's good to know. It's good to know dot org? Yes. It's good to know dot org. Why is that a good domain name? Why is that a good web address, Roy Friedman? It's good to know dot org. Why would that be a good one? Because you could have done RabbiFriedman.org. Because it is good to know. It's good to it's good it to know really, what? It means it's good to know what? Um, you can you can understand that a few ways. <laughs> Knowledge is good. Okay. It's good to know. When you know, you're equipped, you're you're capable, you're empowered. Right. Ignorance is bliss is not something you would advocate. No. Okay. Or you can put the emphasis on the good. It's good to know. <laughs> If you want to be good, you have to know. So either way, it's good to know. So it works. Yeah. Uh, again, use the discount code Nahum for any of that. It's good to know org. It's good to know org. People who want you in their community to come and address them on all the variety of topics that you discuss, can they be in touch through the website? Yes. How come you became so web savvy so early on? Uh, it's not me. Well, but in general, it seems that... Uh, Shluchim like yourself, we, we can call you a shliach, it says it on Wikipedia, so yeah. I'm allowed to say it. Uh, shluchim like yourself, 
who was sent, by the way, for those wondering, to minus 40-degree weather in Minnesota, right? That's where you were. We discussed this last time you were here, that yeah. that you had the challenge of dealing with very difficult winters up there. Although I hear most of the town now is indoors, so maybe it's a little different. Uh, but anyway, you had that big challenge. Uh, it seems that the shluchim in general take great advantage in a positive way of the World Wide Web. And you know that it has taken many uh, struggles in the Orthodox community for others to go ahead and understand the positive aspect of the web. Why was it that it happened so quickly for people like yourself? Isn't it amazing that if all the rabbis in this country, all of them, of all denominations, the only rabbi who went on television was the Labavitcher Rebbe. Is that a fact? In, in the We're 80s, going into the 1980s. Yeah. In the 80s, every weekday Fabrengen, except Purim, was uh, broadcast via satellite. This was before cable. Accessible to anybody who wanted it around the world. Everywhere. And, and during the Fabrengen, people would call in. We gave a number on the screen, people to call in. We got a call from a Jewish guy who's on a battleship in Greenland. In the 80s. In the 80s. And he's all <laughs> alone, you know, a Jew um, and, uh, um, stuck on this ship for, for, I don't know, for years. And he's playing with the with the remote control, and all of a sudden, <laughs> he Yiddish, finds he finds the Rebbe. Yiddish, Afabrengim, they're singing, l'chaim, yeah. So all over, all over, wherever wherever the the satellite uh, reached. So how come the Labavitcher Rebbe, and, and no English? It was all right. Yiddish, and it was the the Fabrengen, no change, no difference. Was there a translator on TV or not? Because I, I know there was on radio. I was the translator. You were the translator on television. Yeah. It was it was wonderful. It's a tough job translating. Simultaneously. Yeah, very difficult. Yes. Yeah, because you can't stop and think. Oh, it's impossible. It has to be automatic. It has to, it's automatic. Yeah. It goes in the ear and, and the out, ear the and mouth. out the mouth. Exactly, <laughs> and it's very hard. And then, it's hard for man to act like a machine. And then at the end of the tzicha, the end of the talk, they asked me to summarize it, <laughs> and I had no idea. <laughs> You were the only one. I always say I'm the only one who doesn't listen to my show. You're the only one in the near to speech. <laughs> yeah. And, and now when I read it, now that it's published, I, it's news to me. <laughs> That's great. So the Rebbe decides that if the world of technology expands, he's going to be at the forefront of it. And obviously when the web shows up, everyone, even those who are pro TV or mildly, you know, parv when it came to television, you know, understood that sometimes it would be a good idea for my kids to watch maybe news or sports on TV, but not in their own home. I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. For those, When it came to the web, forget it. It was like, you know, never should anybody ever approach it. His attitude, you believe, would have been different. Uh, you know, it was controversial when Rabbi Tights went on radio. Right. Gemara on radio? Right. And who's listening? Are we allowed to let others listen and all that? Right. But it, but it was great. Of course. Fantastic. It was revolutionary. Yeah. Fantastic. So everything that, you know, that, that exists in this world was created in some way to help glorify the creator. Right. And, and Chabad has proven that. It's not like a, it's not like a flippant statement. Yeah. You have plenty of proof for it. And the and we were kidding earlier, for those who just tuned in, we were kidding earlier about the job of the shliach and how they are tossed into positions that are, and titles that they're not used to generally. Um, but this whole technological system, the fact that they are able to connect with their own kids and with people around the world and other shluchim and with news, I mean, it makes it a very, very different. I can only imagine 
you know, what the Siberia Shliach felt 25 years ago compared to now in terms of being able to be in touch with people. It's different. When he has electricity. Right. <laughs> and who knows, maybe Amazon even delivers to Siberia. Right. I don't know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a different type of thing. With, with drones. <laughs> yeah. It's a system that I'm sure they're thinking about. Right. Manus Friedman in our studio. It is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City. In New Jersey. The website is it's good to know.org. It's good to know.org. Or my Friedman explained why it is such a great web address. One of the reasons is you probably won't forget it. It's good to know.org. When you go there, there's information about this week's course, which is about parenting for all ages. You have a partner in this course. There's somebody else who's presenting on this topic, correct? Yes. Tell me who that is. Rabbi Chase Taub. What gets him the uh, opportunity to be a tag team with Rory Friedman and get to the A1 level that you're at? Well, first of all, he writes this column in Ami magazine. Oh, yeah, very nice. Like uh, questions, uh, you know. Oh, he answers questions? Questions to the rabbi. About parenting or general? Uh, Anything. General. And he is very good. He's become very, very popular because he's very articulate. He speaks from experience in all of these things. And uh, the combination is great. And he's, he's more practical. And his ro- okay, so explain that his role in this lecture series would be how how different than yours? Um, I, I I speak more about the the attitude, the hashkafa, and he he's more practical. All right, he'll talk about specific situations, practical application. Yeah, and he'll cite specific examples and yeah. different things that he could bring to the forefront. All right, so he's part of that. I remind everybody that anybody who signs up for the course this week. Uh, you can um, uh, utilize the discount code Nahum, N-A-C-H-U-M. They're offering a 25% discount for our listeners, and we appreciate that greatly. Um, One more story? Yeah, please. Talking about raising children and... Uh, it's the 25th of the Omer. You can tell all the stories you want. <laughs> what is today? What's 25? What does de- nobody's, nobody's singing. What designation is there today? Anybody know? Netzach Shabanetzach. Ne- is today Netzach Shabanetzach? So that's significant, isn't it? Yes. What can you tell us about that? Anything you can tell us about Netzach Shabanetzah? Yeah, it's a very great day, and uh, it's the day that my daughter, my youngest daughter, got engaged. Wow, tough. In the middle of Sphira. You know how many people would go crazy? You made an engagement in the middle of There was no music. <laughs> Even in your family. Yeah, huh? my family. Netzach Shabanetzah. Unbelievable. So the story and the And the midway point. It, it, it shocks me. That nobody in Jewish history till me <laughs> made an issue of the fact that we reached the midpoint of Sphere. Every 25th of the Omer, I make a big deal that we're halfway through. Maybe it's just my responsibility in terms of the music that makes me count even faster than everybody else. <laughs> That's your contribution. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so the story is like yeah, this. Go ahead. In terms of, of you know, we're, we're all upset because children don't have derecherets. Children are chutzpahdik and uh, all that stuff. It's a 2015 reality. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and building. And it will continue. Yeah. Your prediction it will continue. So I was, I was growing up in Crown Heights on President Street in a little apartment. And I had a great uncle, Fetter Chaim. He was a very lonely man. He never had children. His wife was very sick and she passed away young. He came to America before any of us. And he was a very sweet, gentle soul. Hardly ever spoke, and when he did, it was very soft-spoken. 
he would come to us for dinner every night. Mm-hmm. And hardly, you know, we hardly heard him speak. He would be polite, he would th- say thank you, and he would... One time, I'm sitting there at the table. The dining, the kitchen was tiny. We had a little kitchen table there. And my mother was standing behind me at the sink, maybe a foot away. And we were eating soup, and I said, Ma, can I have a spoon? Oh, boy. This gentle man <laughs> went livid. He exploded. And he said, Banutzensach mit dem Mammen? You're using your mother? What is she, your valet? And, that, and, then, and then he uh, apologized for, uh, uh, for the outburst. For the, but that made such an impression. Oh, boy. Today, when I go home to my mother, <laughs> you won't ask her anything. If she asks me if I want coffee, I panic. <laughs> what should I say? Yes, no. It's, it's, I mean, parenting is not some artificial project that you can pick up from a book. You pass on your deepest values, who you are, what you stand for. You, you, you convey that. You communicate that to your children so that knowingly or unknowingly, willingly or unwillingly, you are raising your children. Right. So if we, if we feel a little inadequate as parents, we, one of the best things we can do is refocus on who we are. Mm-hmm. Get clear about... And so pass that on. Every now and then it would be important to say to your child, for your own benefit... I have to tell you something because it's my obligation as a parent to pass on what I was taught from my Zayde, who was taught by his Zayde, and now is the right time because it's your birthday or because it's Netzach Shabbat halfway through Svida. I want to tell you something that I'm obligated to teach you. It, it, it's, it sets the stage. It, it makes it clear what's going on. Like by a Hasana. The, the chuppah is such a serious event. The rest of the chasana is... is Lebedek, right? Is Lebedek, but because... And, and, and many rabbis, rightfully so, get very annoyed, rightfully so, when an air of non-seriousness enters into the chuppah ceremony. Yeah, it's not Of a, any type, even a, the slightest. Not a frivolous moment. Right. Because when we sing Baruch Haba, officially it's for the chasana kala. But why don't we specify? Why don't we say, Baruch Haba Chosen, Baruch Haba Kala? Because we're really saying Baruch Haba to the Nishamis, to the souls right. of the ancestors who come to the Hasana. Correct. At least three generations and, and often more, up to ten generations. Now, why would they come to the Hasana? Because this is their legacy. This is their future. This is their accomplishment. It's being built on their foundation. This bias yes. is being built on their foundation. Yeah. So what you're going to teach your kids will determine whether they were successful, whether they are uh, affecting their their grandchildren and so on. So, so they have a vested interest. They come to the wedding. So when we teach our children, it should be in the awareness of past generations and then future generations. It's not just you and your kid. It's the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. So, yeah, very, very serious moment, mm-hmm. a very awesome moment. of. Uh, so if we, if we forget that perspective, if we lose that bigger picture, 
It's not just me and my kid, and, and we're having a miserable time, and I don't know what I'm doing. You got to back up. It started with your great grandfather, and you got to look forward. This is not just your child; it's all generations to come. Then we have a, a much healthier perspective on things. So to actually say, you should always think it, but to actually say to your child, I am obligated to tell you this. I have a, a chiyuv, I have an achrayis. I need to pass on and connect them with their grandparents. That is so important. This, this generation gap is horrible. Children think life began with them. Mm-hmm. You connect them to their grandparents, make them proud of their grandparents. Yeah. Quote their grandparents to them. Why should you do this, or why should you not do this? Well, my Zayda would never do that. The old, uh, you know, my grandfather would roll over in his grave, you know, the old expression, right? I I tell my children, we were growing up. We, we, We really didn't know what my mother's name was. Because, of course... Meaning her first name. Her first name. We certainly wouldn't call her by her first name. of course. But we hardly ever heard my father call her by her first name because when he wanted to talk to her, he would go to where she was. Right. He would never shout from another room. It's so so undignified. And he certainly wouldn't say, come here. What do you hear? That's so inappropriate. We got into this last time. Oh, yeah? about the relationship between spouses huh. and the the heightened, especially because so many people have this impression of the Jewish world and especially uh, the more perceptionally orthodox one is, the worse they think it is. They have this perception that there's this terrible um, uh, gap, I don't know how, how better to put it, uh, between husband and wife. And that what you just described in terms of come here, etc., is the norm. And you told us last time, obviously rightfully so, that not only should it not be that way, the spouse has to go completely completely beyond the call of duty to make sure that it's exactly the opposite. And that's what you just described, of course. Your father would only walk over to your mother, you know, like... uh, you know, even to those of us who grew up in an era of tremendous respect in their home, think that that might be, you know, it's a little us, over the top. Right, it sounds a drop extreme. <laughs> and, and believe me, when you told the story about the uh, spoon, uh. I shuddered because you took me back to my childhood. So, you know, so we, we, we come from similar backgrounds when it comes to, you know, the kibbutz the, the and the and what's demanded and expected of a child uh, in regard to their parents. But we now know that it's not only a frum obligation. And that if you don't do it, so you're not so from. Right. It's life matter. Right. You're, you're the fabric of life doesn't work, doesn't hold together without this. And by the way, I'm sure this is part of your Shlom bias, uh, yes. presentation as well, right? Yeah. That that's the, yeah. that's one of the keys. We spoke about this earlier this week with Shalom Task Force. That one of the keys is how you speak to somebody and that just altering the language or the tone, a drop, a drop can mean a world of difference. Changes the atmosphere at the home. 100%. So the way parents talk to each other may be the signal for the children on how they talk to each other and how they talk to you. Right. They pick up your tone and they feed it back to you and then you're shocked. Yeah. Where'd you learn this? They oh, learned it from us. Oh, 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 from me. They learned it from <laughs> us. And then, of course, it is 2015, so I have to ask. Look, the spoon story reminds us about the fear 
that you know the fear element in the in the respect for parents. There is in fact a, a, a there's another not as famous passage in the Torah about fearing one's parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know the one about respecting one's parents is in is in the top ten so to speak in the Decalogue, <laughs> but the one about fearing one's parents is not exactly uh, enjoying the same notoriety. Um, so we know there has to be a balance. And in this era, people are also demanding not just a balance, but I would like to feel the love of a parent, the affection of a parent, feel like, you know, and by the way, we say this about God, that we don't just fear him, but we, we feel his love and affection. It's one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah when we proclaim him as king. You know, he is, he is a certain type of father. You know, he is a certain type of father figure. Um, so you are not, I, I, sh- I want to make it clear to everybody that one does not exclude the other. That one can have a loving relationship with their child at the same time that they are passing on what you've just described as proper etiquette or proper ethics for their child. They actually feed each other. The more derecheretz, the more love, and the more love, the more derecheretz. That's how it should work. But if you have a diet of only love, then, then it's not even a healthy love. Right. It's not even that. And, the, and I assume you would say the opposite. If you have a, a, a diet of only fear. <laughs> Obviously. Right, I'm saying. It's a crippled, crippled right. I'm, I'm trying, trying to play to the crowd, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's why you're the professional. In this era, we got to make sure to cover all the bases. <laughs> so here, here's an interesting... Uh, unconditional love. You hear about it all the time. Yeah. Everybody's talking about Unconditional right. love. No matter what they do, they're my son or daughter. Right? Ah, oh, now see? Right. Now you said it right. Right. No matter what you do, you are mine. That's unconditional. The love is a little conditional. Gotcha. Because sometimes you're lovable and sometimes you're not. (laughs) Gotcha. And actually, children want that. If you say, I will love you no matter what you do, it means I don't count. You're going to do your thing. Your thing is love. So you're going to love me no matter what I do. I can stand on my head. I can break everything in the house. That's not, that, that means you're ignoring me. Unconditional love is not a compliment. And children will act out because they want a reaction. And you say, no, 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 I'm just going to continue loving you. That's really not. So what can so we? what is unconditional? Uh, or what can we, how can we rephrase it and not call it unconditional love, but call it what? The way you put it. No matter what, you are mine, I am yours. Even when I hate you. Right. <laughs> And that's what the Ebishta says about us. The Ebishta doesn't say, I will love you unconditionally. The Novi says some pretty harsh things about, mm. I've had but it. But I'll always be your father. I've had it with you. You're, right. you're, you're, you're impossible. And, but we're going to work it out because right. I'm not quitting on you. Right. So love is a big condition. Mind is unconditional. Right. That's factual. That's true. All right, Manus Friedman is here. The website is itsgoodtoknow.org. Itsgoodtoknow.org. You can get information there about registering for the course on parenting and all the different things that Manus Friedman is doing. Uh, he also has a social media presence, which you'll see there at the bottom of the web page. Uh, go to itsgoodtoknow.org. So the first time you're in Minnesota as a shliach is what year again? 1970. You, you communicate with the Rebbe the first time after getting there. What's the conversation about? What is he asking you about and the first time that... Uh, he wasn't asking me. Meaning? <laughs> I was asking him, really? I have to stay here? <laughs> and this was after how many weeks? Or, or hours? <laughs> no, no. We got there in the summer. Right. And as soon as uh, the winter hit... Then you like, asked, you have to stay here. Whoa, nobody so, told me. So he encouraged... <laughs> 
I, I thought the weather all over the world was like in New York. Mekachtos. So you so you communicate with him, and and you're you're kidding. I assume when you yeah. say I have to stay here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is his first questions about the community at that time? No questions. Meaning what? I mean, he always wanted to be updated. No. Yes, but I, I was not the first shliach there. Uh-huh. There was a senior shliach there, and he did all the communicating, and I did all the work. <laughs> Meaning, and you were part of his Chabad house? Is yeah. that how we would put it? Yeah. Uh, so I came there originally to uh, work with youth, right? with teenagers, which is what I did for a couple of years. And then Beis Chana happened. Right. Which means a school? Which, which means uh, there was no place where an adult woman uh, could come and learn about Judaism. Ladies adult ed. Catch up. Catch up. Right. Ones who never went to, to Yeshiva, right. never went to Cheder. And that starts by you. That started before uh, Neve followed mm-hmm. two years later. And then in New York, uh, Machon Chana right. came about because these women needed some place to study full time. Right. For us, it was just a crash course. And it's been going on ever since. Right. We've had 20,000 women. Kalakavod, my gosh. And is it easier during uh, Sphira to arrange to have dinner with Avram Fried or Benny Friedman? Is it easier because they're they are less active in their usual roles or not necessarily? Or, or do they still tell you they're way too busy to get together? How does it work? Well, actually, what they do is they focus on the recordings. Uh, they go into the studio. So you still can't get a hold of them. You'd think that maybe in the middle of Sphira it would be easier to have a little dialogue with them. It's essentially I impossible. Hope I hope not. Oh, you'd rather they work? Yeah. I hope they're busy with the next... <laughs> With the next album. <laughs> With the next great niggard, huh? Yeah. That's Avremo and, of course, Benny Friedman. Uh, finally, so I will tell you my uh, most recent. I've told this on the air already, but you're here. I'm going to use you as a... Uh, I don't want you to leave without hearing it. <laughs> How about that? My my latest shliach story. I don't even know if this qualifies as a shliach story. You know what happens, Shemini Atzeris? Shemini Atzeris. What happens in Crown Heights late Shemini Atzeris afternoon? All of a sudden, there's a mass exodus. On late Shemini Atzeris afternoon. You're familiar with that? You don't remember that from the 1960s? The Ta'alucha? <laughs> is that what it is? What do they call it? Ta'alucha? Which means what? Walking to the neighborhood right. jewels. Correct. So they keep you, they, they go to a million different communities. Right. So I say to my son, let's go to the Williamsburg Bridge. And we'll sit there at the edge of the Williamsburg Bridge. It's a nice park bench. It was great weather. And, um, you know, about five o'clock, you'll see a million Hasidim. From Chabad coming over to Williamsburg Bridge to go to, to, to places in Manhattan, up to the Bronx, Washington Heights, maybe even some to Westchester. I, I can't imagine. And he says, you know what? Let's go now. I said, let's go now. I was like, it's 1.30. It's not going to be anybody there now. I don't know. Maybe we'll go now. We'll go later. So we, in fact, we went. Got there like two o'clock. And all of a sudden, there's a bunch of Chabad shluchim coming over the bridge. So I, I was shocked. Like, you know, why would they be coming so early? So I say to them, where are you going? So they said, we're going to the Bronx, and it's a 15-mile walk to where we're going. So we have to, you know, get started. We can't do the 5 o'clock shift. Got to get started early. All right, so I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So at 5 o'clock, we're back at the bridge, and now we're meeting, you know, the Upper East Siders and the Upper West Siders and the Midtown people and the, those who really have it easy, you know, in Chelsea and Little Italy and all those places. And I say to these guys, I say, you know, 
Who who decided that you guys get this really, you know, cozy position on Simchus Torah, and those guys have to go all the way up to the Bronx? And they say to me, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. The ones you saw at 1.30 are all Israelis, and they requested to go all the way to the Bronx. They they wanted to participate in the 15-mile walk. So it's not always what you think. It's not always the shliach who's getting, getting, uh, you know... uh, Told what to do. Sometimes they put in requests, as you uh, as you just learned from my Sipchastara story. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Was it raining? No, it's beautiful that weather. Is so fact. unusual. Beautiful weather. <laughs> it usually rains. But you know what I felt bad about? Uh, I originally felt bad, and then of course you'll hear in a minute why I didn't feel bad. I said to my son, "We should have we should have brought a case of water here." And and given each one a water bottle as they got off the bridge it would have been a nice gesture and just we would have participated in the mitzvah of what they're doing and then of course uh, we did, we realized that nobody from Chabad before sunset at the end of Shemini Atzeres would drink water outside the sukkah anyway especially not in great weather right? so there you have it incredible so Rabbi Stone Rabbi Stone and his yeah. sukkah had to be the uh, stopping point for them and there was, was one year we were walking to Williamsburg yeah. And, uh, you know, the neighborhood was not the safest. Right. So we had police escort. Right. So there were police cars. I remember even the era of police escorts. Yeah. Right. So we had es- the police car in the front, police car in the back, police cars along the sides right. with, their, with their lights flashing. Right. And we walked past this building, and there are these kids standing there with their parents on their porch right. watching. And one of the kids says to his mother, all these people going to jail? <laughs> 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 That's what happens when you're surrounded by police. <laughs> they start conjecturing. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because I because I remember uh, 20 years ago they were still I think even less they were still doing the police escort. Yeah. And it, it's so funny I was sitting there thinking how understated the operation is now that then it was again you know not only police escorts when you got off the bridge 20 years ago. And walked the, I don't know, block or two straight down Delancey Street till you started to head up north. There were cops in every corner. Not just police cars escorting, but literally officers, you know, making sure everything was all right. I remember that from years back. And now it's like, you know, there's nobody around and everybody, thank God, it's a little bit of a different world over there and people are able yeah. to walk without a problem. So anyway, there's my story and. It's a good one. Yeah, feel free to use it whenever you wish. All right, Manus Friedman, check it out. The website, it's goodtoknow.org. I thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure, and the rest of Svita should be uh, full of good news. Yes, and should go quickly. <laughs> and don't ask your mother for any spoons, I beg you. <laughs> Please. I shudder every time I think of the story now. <laughs> More coming up. You are listening to a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM. <laughs>